Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for believers, doubters and everyone in between. Um, normally I do do a little bit of scouring around for if there's any stories in the week that we can mention before we start the episode. But I've been a bit busy this week with other stuff, so not really did, done that. I come across a few headlines about time traveller says type stuff but I've, I've started ignoring them because they're almost just oh come on uh, they're just clickbait aren't they they are just clickbait so um nothing major to get us into the podcast we had a really good reaction to last week's episode on um science and the supernatural and there was um yeah really good debating stuff going on online so thanks everyone who engaged in that we do kind of appreciate getting a bit of discussion going uh it's good yeah uh, i do too it was it was great it was it was one of those where um boy it's a difficult topic isn't it because um uh if you look at science well people study science their entire lifetime and they're uh, trying to get something meaningful into a hours podcast it presents so many editorial challenges but i thought you did absolutely brilliant because i listened to it back and i'd forgotten some of the things you said and i was like oh yeah yeah, that is interesting. That is really interesting. Although someone did send us uh, a link that maybe put doubt on the dual slit experiment, which I haven't opened because I, I almost going, no, 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 I don't want to know, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you could debate that one for ages because there are other people who um, have come up with not um contra uh i guess papers but there are there are still valid scientific documents around that dual slit so um yeah which does lift it um slightly above a pure thought experiment doesn't it? oh it's definitely not a pure thought experiment no no i think i think it comes down to that nature of um uh whether it is whether it's the observation effect or not i think that's probably where most of the right um, the debate lies well we'll keep observing and we'll 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 keep trying to figure it out i guess well while we do that yeah. i thought it might be time to just go back and listen to some stories or Ooh, not nice. just some, not just some stories actually but um like i the story of the genie oh so Sort of coming out of Christmas, I did because the Aladdin uh, is always on over Christmas, and it's obviously in the theatres. You get the um, the pantomime, yeah. And it occurred to me, I don't really know where that comes from. I sort of in the back of my head, I know that it's actually a gin, but like, why do we have genies? Why do they live in lamps? And why do they grant three wishes? Where does all that? come from and the history of that and people who might have asked for a wish from a spirit and maybe got more than they bargained for so we were talking about um can you can you manifest so this was part of your discussion a few weeks ago which was like manifesting reality yeah and i thought this joy this sort of co-joined with that but to, to get us into this i didn't realize where the genie comes from and the very first mention of it is in a french book hmm. and it's called the ridiculous wishes or if you will the three ridiculous wishes right oh so that's where the three wishes comes from well yeah but there's there is more to it about the number three and it comes from a book bought by charles 
I'm going to say that's pronounced Perrault, um, 1697, in a book called Histoire au Comte de Temps Passé. Um, <laughs> that was good. Je voudrais un croissant, si vous plaît. Yeah. Um, Don la maison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, où est le gars? Uh, no, that was it. That's my only French sentence, Don Le Maison, which doesn't, uh, as Eddie Izzard points out, some of them, some of those sentences don't really come in useful. No, 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 they don't. Well, the so that is like the first mainstream reference, and then when you start moving forward, it kind of goes a bit quiet in the genie story front, and then we get to the 1940 film, The Thief of Baghdad, and that's really what puts. Um, I guess Gene is into the mind of modern society. Right. But there are some fantastic throwbacks from that film that I guess we would all have missed if we hadn't realised that it comes from this French book. So you remember the um, the hero, if you like, of the story is Abu, and he is the one who frees the genie. Yeah. And he asks, he gets his three wishes, and one of his wishes is for sausages. Now, right, so sausages comes up in that French book. That is one of the wishes, to have sausages. And sausages is a main theme on some of these these genie stories. Really? Yeah. That's so weird. I know, it is really weird. So it's part of, that's why it's called the Three Ridiculous Wishes. Right. And then in a minute, we'll see where that might have come from. So um, all I could think of when I read that was Ruth Roper Wilde's yes. <laughs> mysterious yes. transdimensional, trans-dimensional sausage. sausage yeah. It's amazing how much the paranormal crosses over with the world of meat preparation. Sausage? You sure, you sure you're not telling me porky pies? <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> but in so in that French book, um, when they ask for sausages. Everything goes downhill for the guy who asks for a sausage. Right. <laughs> and um, and, the, and so that is the first documented plot line of asking for a sausage, or at least some people think it is. I'm going to contra that in a minute. But as I mentioned before, of course, genies are really gin. Genie is like, um, I suppose you'd say it was a westernised term and we now i guess would say that genies are a subset of gin and i think in the western world we sort of think of them as your happy smiley aladdin figure it's amazing how much disney does to well we've discovered that disney has turned fairies into nice beings in Peter Pan right. and stopped Peter Pan being an evil child killer like <laughs> yeah. he used to be yeah. and now it's doing great work for genies and making them seem lovely people or it, lovely beings. It, it's making me think, um, it was my birthday a couple of months ago, my, my wife bought me a brilliant birthday card. It was just a, a picture of Winnie the Pooh. And all it says is, as much as Winnie the Pooh missed Piglet, he did enjoy the bacon sandwich. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. mate, so mate, you know, maybe we need to question... All our Disney-influenced heroes. There's um, there's that horror movie coming out, isn't there? Blood, oh, yes. Blood and Honey. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of keep quite keen on seeing that. Yeah. But yeah, so these these gin, um, they cut obviously they they come from the um, Arabian world and they have their roots in Mesopotamian legends and. 
they are also mentioned in the Quran. And this is an interesting part of the story to mention. We, we spoke the other day about the sort of Western beliefs and how they might be similar or different to other people's beliefs and how they might be more accepted. We were talking about, um, for example, uh, how UFOs are, uh, are, are talked about in different cultures and we mentioned yep. Aborigines and stuff. Yeah. And so I, I sort of went on a tangent and I thought, well, I wonder if people currently believe in the jinn as being a supernatural force in their lives and i discovered this really great book called legends of fire spirits jinn and genies from arabia to zanzibar great title it is a good title isn't it and um the researcher robert lebling uh, lebling lebling i'm going to say he says um uh, one of his opening quotes is jinn are taken seriously and regarded as real tangible beings by a large segment of the world's population mm. They appear humanoid or even human, but possess amazing powers we lack. They can change their shapes, can fly through the air, and can even render themselves invisible. That sort of seems reasonable, doesn't it? Because that's how we think of, you know, in some cultures you'd say shapeshifters. Yeah. Um, we might say that, that those are some of the, um, uh, I guess, qualities that we could uh assess a spirit by you know sometimes we might see a spirit as manifesting as a human or it might be a dark shadow so there's some similarities right yeah and it was um as soon as you said flying through the air it made me think of stories associated with the genie and the flying carpet and all that kind of stuff yeah. came into mind yeah that's true and was the oh you may get onto this but what in in the legends and lore of the jinn is there this thing of of granting wishes, or did that does that really relate just to genies? Um, well, we'll come on to that okay, because yep, because cool. I suppose it isn't so much about granting wishes; it's whether they work with or against humans. Right. Okay. So, according to Islamic writings, jinn live alongside other creatures, but from a world other than that of mankind, and uh, they apparently inhabit caves deserted places graveyards that seems pretty similar to what we believe about spirits yep and the darkness they can also marry produce children eat drink die but unlike other human beings they have the power to take on different shapes as we've said because they can also move heavy objects almost instantly from one place to another and manifest things so these are all um, the qualities that Jim might, Jin might have. So that includes kind of that sounds a bit teleportationy and yeah, 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 interesting. And and there are there, there are ten different spirit, uh, ten different kinds of genie in the Islamic world. Now I apologise if this is like, uh, yeah, we knew that. But if you if you're from that background, this is obviously this is a part of your culture which I don't know about. So I was fascinated to find. I always thought. I sort of put all gin into one camp, and they were, um, you know, they were just they were just gin, right? Just like mm. a ghost is a ghost. But there's there's loads, and they have lots of different characteristics. So, for example, if you look at the silat, apparently this is normally um, a gin that takes on the form of a beautiful woman, seduces and marries men, and it can also procreate humans, creating hybrid children. 
and that really stuck out. Hybrid children, yeah. where have we heard that before? And a bit, I uh, can't remember which one's which, Incubus and Succubus. Well, funnily enough, <laughs> this is what we know in European terms as the hag or the succubus. Yeah, okay. And rather than um, being a dictionary of gin, I just wanted to highlight that. You could go and find them out for yourself because the, the different characteristics, I don't think it really changes the story, mm. except for in a minute when... Um, I will mention a story and go, ah, and that's why it's that sort of gin. So um, the guy who wrote that book also set up what I would describe as a gin Facebook page support group. Wow. Uh, so it's people sharing their either stories that they've read about the gin, which are clearly fictional, or um, their real life encounters. Right. And this is a treasure trove because... I thought, I'm never going to find anyone that's actually met a djinn. There'll be, you know, it, there'll be vague stories like, you know, perhaps um, what we see about ghosts. But you, you wouldn't maybe say, uh, you, you might maybe have say you've experienced something, but what are the stories going to be like? Actually, they're really fascinating. Right. So, um, and this one... This covers another topic as well. This covers Black Eyed Kids. So I preceded this one so basically this guy talks about how he lives in west texas which is not where i imagined you would encounter a gin mm. and he talks about him and his friend they've ditched school and they're driving around in his car so they're sort of 16 17 years old and he talks about driving up to this intersection which has a street crossing and he describes this residential alleyway right in front of us so it's kind of like a semi sort of um uh, i guess town setting it's a small town is where the the way that um he set this up and he says we'd have to turn either right or left at the stop sign or drive straight down the alley he talks about when he's in his hometown of odessa he says we have alleys behind our houses with dumpsters to toss trash into so when he's driving uh, and looking down this alley in front of them they see this blonde-haired kid with a bowl haircut, must have been like eight or nine years old, bolting out of one of the back gates of a house into the alley. And that's why they think, oh, right, okay, so they've come to put some trash out for their parents. But this kid is running as fast as he can down the alley, straight towards us, with an expression of pure terror on his face. And they don't know what to make of this, and they're watching this kid and they turn to each other and agree that something isn't right and they should pull up and check on him. You know, they think maybe escaping an abusive parent, maybe there's a, an emergency, maybe there's a house fire. Right. You know, maybe yeah. there's something they, they, this kid needs help with. So we pull up to where my car is parallel to, with my passenger door facing the alley and the boy runs up to us and stops about five or six feet from the car. He's bent over with his hands on his knees, breathing heavily, looking at the ground. I call out to him and say, hey, kid, you all right? You need some help. And <laughs> as you'd imagine, this is where things start going rapidly south. The kid's composure completely changes. He stops breathing heavily, stands straight up. It's like he's been imitating this, right? He's pretending right. to be human. That is the implication. And his eyes change to pure black. And he's got this disturbing look where he smiles back at us and he says, those teeth are not human teeth. These look like shark teeth. Oh, wow. 
and he points his finger at them. He says, the author says, we start freaking the hell out. My buddy's screaming to me to drive off, and I hit the gas. And this kid stands there pointing at my car until we rounded the block and we're out of view. So at this point, we drive back to school, and like we're really messed up. We're scared. And we have no idea what it is that we saw. And But when we swap the stories, make sure that we're both checking our own reality. We, we have both seen the same thing. And he says, 10 years later, I remembered this and Googled it to see if there were similar stories out there. And that's when I found out about the black-eyed kid phenomena. Mm. And I asked my buddy, and he remembers exactly the same thing. So... And that does sound like... Um, it sounds similar to other stories we've featured about black-eyed kids and, you know, not always coming to your house and saying, you know, looking for attention or looking to get in. We've, I think we had another one where it sounded very similar as a kid trying to get into a car and at yeah. night especially, you yeah. would feel that you had to intervene. Yeah, yeah. Well, the long and short of it, he goes on later in life, he converts to um, Islam and he realises from the people that he meets through this that this was a djinn. This right. is their explanation of what's going on. And I thought that was really interesting because I think in Western society we might refer to black-eyed kids as perhaps demonic, perhaps possessed, perhaps even alien, but I'd never heard them referred to as djinn No, the, the only connection that I, I have... It's coming back to something we said earlier about sleep paralysis. When we did the episode with Melanie and her experience of sleep paralysis, she described, um, and she was in America, and she described a something that happened to her as a child where there was this thing in her bedroom. I think she described it as like a carrot head. Do you remember that? Oh, my God. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. And, it, and it was it was almost like flame you know it was almost its its head was flaming uh and she made the connection of it possibly being a gin so it was when you were when you said in america it immediately reminded me of that interview we did with melanie um we're checking that episode out uh i think it's called melanie's story sleep paralysis it's it's a while back now but yeah she had what she thought was an encounter with a gin as well well it it's it's so interesting you say sleep paralysis because in part of this guy's discussion, he does say that since seeing that kid, he has had sleep paralysis. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. And there are other people in the general discussion around there. There are people talking about how Islamic healers can banish the 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 jinn, and one of the ways of knowing that you are probably possessed by jinn is sleep paralysis. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, very curious. You should you yeah, should that mention is weird, that. the connection. Yeah, <clears throat> and when we talk about um, the way, remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about that effect of um, believing something and making it therefore making it true. Yeah. So there was um, that guy who was convinced that he was going to die because an elder pointed a bone at him. And, yeah. Yeah. So this is a case which is drawn from uh, a scientific study paper which isn't about placebo. It's about the cultural references around jinn in the Islamic world for a, you know as a, as a scientific study. And one of the cases in there talks about 
a 25-year-old woman from Iraq who's got no previous psychiatric history. And at the, at this age of 25, she starts withdrawing from people. She starts becoming uncommunicative and she stops eating and drinking. And, of course, she's taken into medical care and they investigate. There's no organic disease and there is no... Uh, there's no other physical signs, so a severe depressive illness is diagnosed. Right. That's what you would expect. She went underwent electroconvulsive therapy, which um, gave her no improvement at all. I mean, that is a fairly controversial yeah. therapy anyway. Yeah. But um, her family, believing to her to be possessed by jinn, but not wanting to say so to the doctors for fear of being labelled as superstitious took her to a local faith healer which is isn't that interesting that the main religion a subsection of it people are worried about talking about it yeah yeah well that's a kind of common theme we've talked about on the podcast before isn't it just you know i think i think we even alluded a little bit to that last week that you know 75 percent of people in america have some kind of belief in the paranormal yeah. but you would never think that in terms of people talking about it no no that's right seriously talking about it yeah mm. well they take her to this faith healer and he says that he will treat her in the traditional islamic way and he has a few sessions with her and her condition improves and she resumes eating and drinking and on recovery, she has no explanation for what has happened, right. although she does remember the sequence of events. So she is almost, she's so poorly, she's almost catatonic. She doesn't really right. interact with what's going on around her. It's completely disassociated. Yeah, she yeah. said she'd been aware of her surroundings, but had been unable to initiate anything. Right. And she says she also denied feeling low in, in mood at the time. She just didn't know what was going on and she couldn't she couldn't interact and this you know there is elements of this that sound like the western idea of possession yeah. anyway after that treatment five years later she remains well and without medication yeah. so in that case you would say okay so either she did have a problem but she didn't believe that the doctors could cure it and perhaps certainly yeah. not with such a um I don't know, a, an intervention like electro-convulsive treatment, that's pretty, pretty that's pretty extreme. And maybe she just needed the faith of, you know, faith with a small f, that this particular activity would cure her, and then she, she became well. Almost like a faith placebo. <laughs> a faith placebo, yeah, which is, again, similar to that guy with the, the bone pointed. Yeah, 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 it's, it's very similar, isn't it, as soon as the person who was supposed to have put this kind of curse or whatever you want to call it on that guy, he then started to completely, well, pretty much instantly recovered, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that story comes from a scientific paper called The Attribution of Mental Health Problems to Gin, an explorative, uh, an explorative study of transcultural psychiatric outpatient clinic. Now, that is... Um, that's a that's a minefield of of words there. Yeah, it's a word salad. But so did they did they come to the conclusion it was some kind of placebo effect, or were they pretty open about it? Well, interestingly, the sort of exact summary says among Muslim patients, a common cultural concept of distress is the notion that jinn might be the cause of mental health problems, especially in the presence of hallucinations. So they studied five hundred and fifty one 
participants and 118 were eligible for participation. So they had quite a, um, a, a robust screening process. Yeah. Out of those 118, 49, uh, so that's 51.5%, were interviewed using a questionnaire. And a subset of them, 43%, were positive that their psychiatric symptoms were caused by gin, whereas 13, 27%, thought not, and another 31% were in, in doubt. Yeah. The conclusion of this paper, because it is about how to care for Muslim patients in um, with doctors without a background in in that faith or that understanding of the culture... Their conclusion is that the, it underscores the need for proper knowledge of Mus- Muslim explanatory models of disease and for use of the culturally sensitive interviewing techniques in this population. Right. It makes no uh, judgment yeah. on whether jinn are involved at it, all. It, it's just saying in your approach you need to be culturally aware of the diversity and the difference in beliefs that's pretty much what it sounds like it's saying which is a fair point whether they believe jinn are real or not is irrelevant it's just your as a practitioner your cultural understanding needs to bear that in mind basically that's right yeah. that's right yeah. and i thought that was that that's was really interesting interesting and obviously a good study um, but i think that applies more globally i can't imagine that my doctor would would do anything more than laugh if it went in and said look i think i've been possessed by a demon i don't i don't think that would Mm. butter any parsnips yeah yeah so so far we've painted this picture of the jinn as being um this the story of genies comes from there and the fact that in the culture from which they come they can achieve many things even be like humans and and quite a lot of people would put their mental health problems down to a gin if you ask them i say quite a few i think you know 40 odd percent in that original cultural context are there good gin and bad gin or, or is it somewhere in between or is there always a kind of you know yeah. dark side to it there's so. a dark side to all of it but there are some who are more destructive right than 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 others right and so i wanted to get back to my my wish giving because i thought yeah you know this i that's what we all think of in the west it can't just be because of a film disney and this one book so i started having a little look around for people who may have maybe not attributed wish giving to a gin or didn't know at the time yeah good good and good, good road <laughs> these these stories turned out to be particularly difficult to find but so <laughs> the, it was at this point in my research that I tried ChatGBT. Do not worry, listener. I stayed with it for a minute because I asked it if it could tell me about any people who had famously encountered a real genie. And it kept telling me that genies weren't real and uh, basically I should stop looking into supernatural hogwash. And and I, I explained Whoa, to it... Called it to ChatGBT, that's the end of the podcast. Well, well, I tried to explain to it quite politely and then less politely that I was making a script for a podcast. I really needed some examples. And then, and this is a brilliant example of where things go wrong, it said to me that John Dee, who was an occult philosopher in the 16th century and was also an, advi- an advisor to um, the Queen at the time, I think she was the que- he was the Queen's um, conjurer, 
the chat GPT said, according to some accounts, D claimed to have met a genie during his travels in Europe and the Middle East and to have received various gifts with powers from the creature. I thought, well, that is exactly what I'm looking for. Feels like a good lead. Never happened. Oh, really? Never happened. Well, not as far as I can tell. John, Chat GBT's lying to you. Well, it just seemed to make it up to make me go away. <laughs> I looked that into. That is scary from an AI point of view. Right. It's, so at first it tells you, you know, stop wasting your time with this rubbish, effectively. Yeah. And then it just makes something up to make you go away. That's incredible. Well, it's true, John D did write a book about summoning angels and bringing angels down and it's quite difficult to get a copy of that text but i did find sections which were pdf'd and i searched through those no mention of a genie no 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 mention of a genie so um i'm going to say john d was a dead end Yeah. yeah but so i went back to my old research techniques and usually that is following tiny links within other documents that take you to places you weren't expecting. Yeah. And then I found this this really great story. So it is copied third hand, unfortunately, from but it's from a newspaper. And it's really long. It was published in 1956, but the story is about a man who lived in the UK in the 1920s. And this, this I think, sums up why Jin might be dangerous. So it talks about how this guy, uh, he is a second-generation Muslim living in the UK. His parents are first-generation Muslims. And because he's now in his early 20s, he, his, his faith, it's described as... As waning and and being unsure because he has joined um, uh, you know the normal working practices of like Brits at the time and I guess he just sort of started moving away from the traditional values that his parents brought over but apparently that wasn't really a big problem for them um, Muslims I guess would have been quite rare in the UK in the 1920s as well so he probably just you know was looking for new friends and whatever but it was all no problem at all all having uh, a good old time except he's got one big problem he is being bothered by what he describes as spirits at night and these are driving his, him mad he talks to his parents about it and they just put it down to you know they don't embrace the gin thing um he doesn't embrace the uh, the the view of any of his western friends and in fact apparently according to this he doesn't really talk to them about it because it's a bit shameful like we keep saying mm. is it shameful to be bothered by spirits no but it makes him so poorly he is eventually checked into a hospital because he can't sleep he can't eat he can't work you know it's affecting his whole life and so he gets checked in and his parents go and visit him and they say to he says to them like he he just breaks down and says this this creature he keeps describing as a creature that is sometimes like a dog sometimes like a man comes into his bedroom every night and he describes it as he's persecuted by it Mm. now when i described there were 10 types of genie one of those genie uh, sorry 10 types of gin one of those jinn is known as a hin and that often takes on the form of a dog 
and he didn't know that and i didn't know that and not that that matters but i didn't know that either no. until i started this story anyway the doctors start treating him with all the things that you would expect 1920s medicine would would do they they make him um uh, eat specific foods um they uh, give him a process of taking more exercise and they give him sleeping pills and he accepts all this because all he wants to do is be free of the haunting but when he moves back the gin is persistent and he becomes to believe that it is a gin that is causing this problem and his parents kind of go yeah we think it is and they start seeking help from muslim friends is there anything anybody could do how do we get rid of a jinn in our son's life? And this is where it gets a bit weird. And this is, I say, in a newspaper report. As they start this process of trying to eradicate the jinn, one day the jinn asks the man to lay out his life. And he says, what do you mean, lay out my life? He says, what do you want from life? And he says, well, you know, I want a wife, a house, a child three you see right but they don't mention that but it's three right because that's all he wants in in the world um <laughs> you've got to love newspaper reports the reporter says but this is in vain for here's a poor ugly man <laughs> oh, for God's sake. oh my word <laughs> yeah um, okay <laughs> but the 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 gin is persistent it keeps coming back and asking and the guy just gives in to it. He's like, fine, this is what I want. Are you going to give it to me or what? He's getting angry at this point. Right. But one day at 4am, he suffers a seizure. And the doctors um, come to the house, um, including two nurses. They rush in to save his life. And they do. Um, he ends up covered in bodily fluids and is shoved in a shower by a nurse called Victoria. And it's love she tells him she can't think of anything else wow. she comes back to the house the next day and to see how he is and declares her undying love for him and he he's like so pretty instant then it's pretty instant and that night he is visited for the last time and the gin doesn't say anything it just makes it very clear he says that you won't see him again later that year he gets married to that nurse and they have a child Wow, and I don't know whether this is told as there's many reasons that this story could have been written it's an odd story to put in it's a local newspaper that doesn't exist anymore but it's the story it's basically the way that it's pitched and it is a long bloody story it's pitched as like a love story it could have been written for um, Valentine's Day or something right um, and they don't really go too much into the supernatural stuff. That almost is like the narrative device that moves it along. And I'm a bit suspicious that he asks for three things. But it is laid out as being true. Wow. Okay. Is that one of the early ones that you found that has this connection with the three wishes? or That is the first real-life story, yeah. like real-life story, concerned with the three. Yeah. But... But this is this is where the three you're quite right to bring this up comes into uh, under question because it was it was this 
it was this asking for three which seems so convenient even though it is 20 it happens 20 years before the lad the uh night the the film comes out yeah but it is the the article is written ten years after the film comes out. I was suspicious by the three. Oh, okay. So I started looking at. I I removed Gin away from it for a minute, and I found a really brilliant resource of old English. Um, I guess they're they're sort of fairy stories, but they're supernatural tales, and they all have a similar theme when you start looking at the the word three so this what i'm about to read you i've chosen the shortest version this is a traditional tale that goes back at least 1200 years and it has many many different forms but it always has a supernatural entity wishes and a denouement where it isn't quite what they'd hoped for right so this one is called the woodman's three wishes and um this is this is an old english version as i say there are there are regional variations and this is quite short. Uh, a woodman went to the forest to fell some timber. Just as he was applying the axe to the trunk of a huge old oak, out jumped a fairy, who beseeched him with the most supplicating gesture to spare the tree. Moved by fright and astonishment, the man consented, and as a reward for his forbearance, was promised a fulfilment of his next three wishes. Right. Whether from natural forgetfulness or fairy illusion, we do not know. But what is certain is that long before the evening, all remembrance of his visitor had passed from his noddle, which apparently is an old English term. I love that I look, term. Yeah. On your noddle. <laughs> That's brilliant. At night, um, when he and his dame were dozing before a blazing fire, the old fellow waxed hungry and audibly wished for a link of hog's pudding. More, There's more sausages. Your sausage. There's your sausage, you I thought see. sausages were coming. No sooner had the words escaped his lips... Then a rustling was heard in the chimney, and down came a bunch of the wished-for delicacies, <laughs> depositing themselves at the feet of the astounded woodman, who, thus reminded of his morning visitor, began to communicate the particulars to his wife. "'Thou bist a fool, Jan,' she said, incensed at her husband's carelessness in neglecting to make the most of his good luck. "'I wish him were at a nose!' Whereupon, the legend goes on to state, they immediately attached themselves to the member in question and stuck so tightly that the woodman, finding no amount of force would remove these unsightly appendages from his proboscis, was obliged reluctantly to wish them off, thus making the third wish oh. and at once ending his brilliant expectations. So oh, there we go. Yeah. Sausages ruin the day. Well, there's a few things that are going through my head while you're talking about this. That one, sausages coming down the chimney, reminded me of Santa Claus, which is interesting. Gift down the chimney. Um, I also I thought back to the episode we did last year on the number three. Yeah, called yeah. Numbers, which was the importance in many different shapes, many different forms, including science of the number three. So it's interesting, isn't it? Well, it is. And then connected to these articles... There is a whole piece um, around collected uh, symbolism around the number three, not mystical symbolism, but because it makes sense to humans. Because they talk about like how, why do we keep finding these three beats in right. fairy tales? The three little pigs, the three yeah. Billy Goats Gruff, Goldilocks, and the three bears, the three musketeers, and it's. Because, according to not just one author, but collective authors, 
it's this rule of three that is somehow satisfying to humans you know you have a joke that joke of like you go x y and then the ridiculous thing you know yeah yeah there's a spike milligan joke that they reference you know can i get you something tea biscuit toupee the third thing always being the ridiculous it wouldn't work if you said tea toupee it doesn't work there's a there's a pleasingness in the three and they point out that it works all the way through um like all kinds of famous written works even adverts so the famous australian suntan uh, anti-cancer campaign slip slap slop or uh, the fire safety slogan stop drop and roll right. stop look and listen yeah. a mars a day helps you work rest and play yeah life liberty and the pursuit of happiness tune in turn on uh, sorry turn on tune in drop out the three wise monkeys it goes on and on even snap crackle and pop yeah <laughs> well it's also I, and I, I think i'm right in saying this um I remember, I can't remember the author's name, but there's a couple of books on the science of shopping and superstores and places like that, how they use psychology. Um, And I think there is a rule of three in that if you want to shift one particular product, you almost have to have two other products, separate brands around it, and that makes you choose the one that they want you to go for i'm not explaining that very well but there needs to be because you would think well the best way to do it if you want to shift that product is don't stock the other two but in stocking the other two brands it actually increases sales of the one that you want to push so that again that's another rule of three so there obviously is something deeply psychological about that number as it's like it's almost like in that case you have a choice it's kind of like well actually that makes a lot of sense because you know, you're always told in management, if you want somebody, a senior person to approve something, yeah. you give them three ideas, two of which are obviously terrible, yeah. and one is the one you want to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, with logos. I remember that with logos being told. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, the one you really... And also don't do the one that you really like first. I always seem to really yeah, remember Yeah, that's some. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, almost sandwich it. That's interesting. So it appears that this comes from... There's a deeply ingrained need for three things. That perhaps informed these ancient fairy tales. That then got mixed into gin culture by this French author. And therefore we start believing that there's this three uh there's these three wishes to be granted. And because we've got this huge um sort of cultural knowledge or at least memory of three things happening in fairy tales and also fairies granting wishes like we just heard and bearing in mind in that story it isn't always fairies the 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 entities move around sometimes it's pixies sometimes it's um i even found one which was um tommy knockers wow much more up to date but there's this so this this idea of supernatural being presents three things and you have to be careful because if you aren't if you don't get your wishes right something terrible will happen mm. is is very ingrained and then the the final part of the puzzle is the lamp and yeah I was thinking about the lamp yeah and it isn't it's not abundantly clear 
where this lamp comes from. It is an interesting device, but one potential explanation that might have informed the authors, again, from like cultural memory and it just being a norm. Um, I discovered a fascinating article about um, some archaeologists who in Bavaria unearthed a 3,000-year-old wishing well and it contained a hundred artifacts from the Bronze Age, and as well as like seventy well-preserved um, clay vessels and such. Archaeologists also found some bronze artifacts: robe pins, bracelets, um, mounted animal teeth, and bronze pots and containers. And they go on to talk about how it seemed like so that the actual purpose is missing but they did realize that it was a wishing well because you know for various things that archaeologists know that i don't they, they're very clear that that's what it was I, I did i did wonder if they'd slightly got it wrong that actually it was a it was a couple of uh burglars being chased by the authorities <laughs> and chuck it down that well chuck it down the well <laughs> oh we've discovered this amazing wishing well but yeah well, well they, they they said it's very clear it's for ritual purposes right right and the the grand assumption is that it's a wishing well because these are all artifacts that would have been very dear and expensive to the people that own them and so there's a number of bronze pots containers right. which would have been expensive not like as expensive off, as in buy them off amazon but expensive in terms of time and effort to make them that's interesting in itself though isn't it because you yeah. always think of a wishing well in terms of coins and obviously that puts a certain amount of date of when it can happen um but it seems like they're suggesting that wishing wells existed before coins and in that setting you would put just valuable items down there in order to make a wish and i guess that's where you're leading in terms of the lamp that's right yeah yeah so that ritual it may have been to to for a deity it may have just been right. um because it was a sacrifice but that's in germany so this idea of um something that is valuable it brings luck it adds to the genie story well it, it also you could argue it also adds to the cautionary almost altruistic nature of aladdin because uh, you know aladdin certainly in the disney one i don't know about any other stories to be honest but certainly in the disney one he it doesn't go wrong for him with his wishes because his last wish is a altruistic gesture towards the genie yeah but that kind of almost ties in with the wishing well thing i will give you something but i'll get something good in return yeah rather yeah. than just plain i've discovered you you are going to give me something oh that's a very good point actually yeah yeah so there's like um uh, a moral part to the story yeah yeah they're embedded within it oh i like that yeah you have in that e example in the wishing well you have to give something as a token in order to get something back yeah that's really good that makes that makes a lot of sense so basically it seems like it's one of those um i'm not going to call it cultural appropriations but there's a misunderstanding yeah. between backgrounds and such and um, if you do ask a djinn for help, I could find one story and whether whether it's really great to be haunted by a dog-like djinn 
and be granted a wife is is um, up for debate. But apart from that, I see very, very little um, in terms of real interaction with a genie that's that's granted a um, uh, a wish. But I do find lots and lots of potential interaction with Jin, mm. which appear completely terrifying. Well. I was also the, the other thought that's going through my head is it's always when you think of the Aladdin story, there's always it's almost like a trope now, isn't it? Oh, you can't wish for more wishes. I wondered if you'd come across where that came into it, or is, is you know, is that a almost I can almost see it as a fiction writer's thing of we've that's got to it. close this loophole. That's right, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, it is, it is, yeah, yeah, because um. Otherwise, in the, in that early story, it it has to have like three wishes appears to be the price for not felling a tree. Yeah, four would be too much. Yeah, and then after he's taken the sausages out of his nose and and ruined it, it's an excuse then for his wife to go, "God, you're an idiot." Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want this sausage thing is. It's quite interesting. I bet you didn't expect that to come across this sausage theme I had, in the genie no, world. No, genie sausages were not where I thought this was going at all. Um, but you can you can see like it's it's handy because we can chart the emergence of the tale from Old English or and and obviously Old English has quite a lot of um, similar thoughts and beliefs to early. Sort of, well, I say early, the 11th century Germanic mm. cultures as well. There's a huge crossover. And in fact, the two languages are pretty similar in some instances. So this is obviously a story that is told. It's another cautionary tale. Yeah. And it probably, when you really comes down to it, is um, don't, don't wish, don't try and achieve something which doesn't mean anything. You know, you should have chopped that tree down to provide wood to keep us warm all winter. It, but what you did was dream of sausages and shove those sausages up your nose because they're only feeders for one night. Mm. That's kind of the moral tale, isn't it? Yeah, that's interesting. I'd not, I'd not thought about it in that sense that a cautionary part of the whole genie tale is it's not a shortcut to success, yeah, or happiness, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what you're alluding oh, that's, to. Yeah, yeah, that's the. That's the conclusion I was gro- groping for. Yes, yeah. apologies for you th- use of the word groping. <laughs> it's um, all right. There's two mics between us. He can't, <laughs> he can't reach. Um, well, I, yeah, fascinating journey though that you've been on. It is. I'm slightly disappointed, but it has made me more cautious about black-eyed kids and um, whether there is. I don't know whether whether the phenomena is as real as we think it is, or whether it's a leaking story. Yeah. Um, but that guy who who wrote that tale, he did. You know, there is no reason for him to come on to a gin support page and write a story like that. Well, just that uh, there is a gin support page. I know. Quite interesting enough. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, well, now you've been on this journey, you know what? You can't put it back in the bottle, can you? <laughs> Uh, no, no, you can't. And um, uh, who who was it who sang Genie in a Bottle? Was that Holly Kiss? 
Oh, I don't know. I must admit, all the way through this episode, I've been kind of humming Bowie's Gene Genie in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to clear that up. Genie and a bottle song. Christina Aguilera, of uh, course there it you was. Go. There you go. Um, yeah, there's quite a few Genie songs, aren't there? There are. Yeah. What's your favourite Genie song? Well, I'm going with Gene Genie. That's easy for me. Gene Genie. Yeah, yeah. Is that a song about alcoholics? Genie lives on his Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. It is a gin, G-I-N. G-E-A-N. Gene and then G-E-N-I-E, I think. Oh, okay. I, I believe. You've got the computer. We'll edit that bit out if I'm wrong, because I am a big no, you're right, fan the and that'd be embarrassing. Well, I've been singing it wrong all these years. So what were you singing? The gin genie? Yeah. I'm surprised nobody's used it for an advert. Yeah, um, I didn't even know what a gin, a, a gene genie is. Um, Does it say what the song's about? Hard to know with Bowie because he did do that thing where he just used random lyrics and a, almost a random used to cut bits out of bits of paper, didn't he, and put them together. So it's always it's pretty. A lot of his songs are quite ambiguous in terms of meaning. According to Bowie. It was a smorgasbord of imagined Americana by a prota- with a protagonist inspired by Iggy Pop. There you go. Well. It's a little vague, but that's what you'd expect. Smorgasbord. What a great word. I love that word. So. That's brilliant, Ben. My wish is for this episode to close. I agree. Without any, any negative circumstances or either of us getting a sausage stuck up our nose. That's true. My second wish is that you leave us a review. <laughs> yes. Uh, my third wish and final wish is that you tell three friends to listen to the podcast. Three friends. Yeah, lovely. Good. We'll see you next week. Where did these sausages come from? <laughs> ah, they're stuck up the nose. <laughs> see you next week. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the quantum mechanics? <laughs>